0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you would, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. You can see me after service, I'd get you one. It wouldn't be a problem at all. But take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to do 8, 9, and 10 this morning together. Probably do a little more reading, too, than normal, just because I think these are important chapters here as we understand the history of Israel and the background of what is going on. So chapter 8 is where we, will, where we will begin and where we will start. So follow along with me. It says, now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and have served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them. And show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his 50s will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep And you will be his servants, and you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles." And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord so the Lord said to Samuel heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel every man go to his city. Let's stop there just to kind of overview what we just read. We see there right away in chapter 8 that Samuel actually wasn't doing the best job of being a leader because it says he took his sons and he appointed them to be judges over Israel. And we see what seems to be sadly kind of common throughout Israel uh, the father was good; the children, not so much. And these children said, "We're after dishonest gain. They took bribes. They perverted justice, and so they were not good judges. They were not like Samuel was." Now, you can also look at that and say, "Maybe, maybe Samuel shouldn't have done this. Samuel's kind of acting like a king here already, as if he can just pass this down who the next judge is going to be in the land, and he." He chose poorly because his sons were not doing a good job. This was not something that was supposed to be a hereditary role here. But this is how Samuel was was acting. And so Samuel is getting old and the people come to Samuel and they say, hey, we would like to have a king over us. You are getting old. Your sons are worthless. Give us Give us a king. Right? And so again, we can kind of understand why they are saying this because The choice that Samuel has in in his sons wasn't very good, and they understood this. They wanted something better. And so Samuel goes to the Lord. He's not happy. Samuel's not happy with what has been said. He goes to the Lord, and the Lord tells Samuel, he says, listen, they're not rejecting you here. What is happening is they are rejecting me. And we start to see the heart of the people that are requesting this. And so he tells Samuel, he says, tell the people what a king is going to do for them. We actually see some mercy here from God in giving Israel a chance. And you'll see that repeatedly as we go through our chapters this morning. He gives them an opportunity and he says, Samuel, go and tell them exactly what a king is going to do. And if you notice as I was reading verses 10 through 18, nothing good was said. It wasn't said, you know, that a a king will fight for you, that a king will go for you, that he will give justice to the land, that he will have mercy. We don't see any of that in what Samuel says here. Instead, what Samuel says is he's going to take your sons and he's going to make them work for him and fight for them and fight for him. He's going to take your daughters to work for him and to serve him. He's going to take the best of your land and the best of everything out here, and he is going to take it for himself. And also, by the way, he's going to impose taxes on all of you to pay for all of these things. That's the layout. Now, it's kind of interesting because, like I said, nothing good is said when Samuel says this. But then the people of Israel get to respond in verses 19 through 21, and it actually seems very ignorant in the response. The response seems very ignorant. If what Samuel just laid out is true... If this is what a king is going to be, Samuel would expect the people to say, all right, we change our mind. Let's think of something else. There's gotta be something better. But instead, their response after being told, your sons will become slaves to the king, your, your daughters will become slaves to the king, he's going to take your land, all this, their response is, yeah, we want a king. We still want a king because even if he does all of those things, listen, we will still have a king just like all the other nations around us. We will still have a king to be on our side. And this is where we really see their heart. You see, their desire here wasn't necessarily to be led, wasn't even necessarily for safety and protection. Their desire was to be like the nations that they saw around them. This is what they were looking for. Because again, it's not bad to want a king. It's not bad to have a king lead them in battle. It's not bad to think of having a king to judge them because this was common for thing for kings to do. But their problem was that they wanted to be like the nations next to them. And what, and what the law told them, what scripture told them, even at this time within Israel, was that you are going to be distinct among the nations. You are going to be different than the other nations that are around you. And Israel did not want this. They did not like this, that they would be different. And I want you to remember that because we'll talk more about that in a little bit. And so this is the scene at this point. The Lord is being rejected. Samuel is being kind of rejected here. And they want a king. And so they're about to get it. Look at, look at chapter 9. Again, I would, I would normally summarize this, but I think today it's better to read it. It says, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Betorath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise, go, and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shaliasha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come. Let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, look, now there is in this city a man of God and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have And the servant answered Saul again and said, "'Look, I have here at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver. "'I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. "'Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, "'he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer, "'for he who is now called a prophet "'was formerly called a seer. "'Then Saul said to his servant, "'Well said, come, let us go. "'So they went to the city where the man of God was. "'As they went up the hill to the city,' They met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? They answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there's a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, Do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? Stick with me. I know I'm reading a lot. Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? Am I family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now, Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them to the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is. What was kept back? It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you since I had invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord had his anointed you commander over his inheritance? Now I'm gonna stop there uh, for now. All of a sudden we get introduced to Saul. Saul is a very important character throughout all of Scripture. And it describes him as the son of Kish, says he is a handsome man, says that he is a, a very tall man. He can be easily spotted, uh, no doubt. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. His father loses some donkeys. They, they scatter. And Kish says to his son Saul, hey, take somebody with you and go find the donkeys. Right? Very, very common thing, probably. Probably a common occurrence. So it says he goes throughout all the land. He's searching for these donkeys, cannot find them, cannot find them anywhere. Starts to get worried and to think, my dad's gonna be more worried about us than he is the donkeys. Maybe we should go back. But then they remember, hey, there's a man of God around here. Maybe we can go to him and he can tell us what is happening, can tell us where the donkeys are. Now, probably the most important verses in all of that I just read was verse 15 through about verse 17. Because in what I've already said so far, again, this is just a very common occurrence. If If you're reading scripture, this is all just coincidence. Yeah, a normal thing. The donkeys get lost, we can't find them anywhere. Maybe we can go ask somebody for some help. That all sounds very good. But when you get to verse 15, you see that there is a purpose behind everything that has been happening all along. Because just the day before, it says the Lord had spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, tomorrow's the day. You will meet the man who's going to be king of Israel. That's interesting. Because the way that God worked was through lost donkeys, through roaming the land, through Saul and his servant kind of arguing over going to the seer and deciding if they had enough money to give him some money to find out what was going on. All of this stuff we see what's happening for a very specific purpose. And so when we read verses 15 through 17, the story really starts to make sense. And so when Saul meets Samuel, Samuel just kind of passively says, hey, uh, the donkeys are found, don't worry about that. But then notice what he says there at the end of verse 20. He says, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? is it not on you and all your father's house? Now, hold on a second. I just want to know where my donkeys are. That's all I want. I'm trying to find my, my dad's donkeys. And now you're telling me all of Israel's desires is on me. And Saul says, no, I'm a Benjamite. And if you know the history of them, there was a civil war in Israel and the Benjamites were not seen as Very good people. Nobody really liked the Benjamites. And then he says, and then I'm of the smallest. My dad, we're the smallest even of the Benjamites. Why would you be saying this thing to me? It's hard to put yourself in those shoes. I mean, I can't imagine what Saul had to be feeling at that moment. Just probably anxiety, probably worry, probably stress. And we see that this is probably truly the case later And what we haven't read yet. We'll see that. But Samuel says, no, this is of you. And so he, he, takes, he takes Saul up to eat and he gives them a seat of honor. And he also says, I've set aside a special portion of food for you. Listen, Samuel knew that this was coming. This was all being ordained by God and planned out by God. It was all set aside. And so imagine Saul sitting at this table with all these important people, the man of God, Samuel here. And when they bring out the best cut of the meat, they probably all expect it's gonna go to Samuel. And it doesn't, it, it goes to Saul. Man, what an experience, right? What, what, a, what an amazing thing he is going through. And so then after he eats, they go, to, they go to Samuel's home and it says the next morning when they go to leave, they send the servant ahead. Again, this is very secret, this is very private. Nobody else knows what is going on at this moment. And Samuel takes Saul aside and something that's very important in scripture, we see that he anoints Saul. That means he's he's setting Saul apart for a special task. And that task is to be the king of Israel, the king that the people had asked for. God was saying, fine, here is the king that you will have. Now, I'll do my best to summarize what happens up to verse 16 of of chapter 10. Samuel tells Saul Saul, All of these things that are going to happen as he leaves. He says, you're going to meet two women at Rachel's tomb. They will tell, and who will tell them about the donkeys. You're going to meet three men at Bethel who are going to give you some bread. You're then going to meet a group of prophets. These prophets are going to be coming out with instruments, all different kinds of instruments, singing and prophesying. And Samuel tells Saul, and it is here when you meet these men that the Lord is going to change your heart and you are going to prophesy with these men. It says, after that, go to Gilgal and wait for me and I will meet you there. Well, if you read that, all of this comes to pass and it's very interesting because as Saul meets these prophets and he starts to prophesy with them, he's singing with them, the response of the people is not, hey, look at Saul, he's a good guy. Hey, look at Saul, there's something special about that kid. We don't get that. What they say is, who's his dad that's their question hey who's his dad it should remind you of how they kind of treated Jesus as Jesus would come into town and he would heal in his hometown the people would say hey isn't that Joseph's son and and Jesus ends up having to leave as a result of it so Saul is kind of facing this same thing hey isn't this Kish's son what is he doing So Saul ends up meeting his uncle in verses 14 through 16. And his uncle says, tell me everything. And you'll notice Saul doesn't tell him anything. He just says, yeah, we went to the seer. He told us the donkeys were fine and now we're back. That's all that has happened. So then that gets us to verse 17. So let's read the rest of chapter 10. It says, then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversites and your tribulations, adversities, I'm sorry, and tribulations and have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Now, we, I can stop there just real quickly. Again, God is giving them an opportunity. God is telling them again, what is happening here is not what I want. What is happening here is not the plan that I had set before you. This is, this is of your will. This is of your doing. This is my mercy on you that I am doing this. Verse 20. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. Now, let's stop there. Again, this was by casting lots. Nobody knew of Saul being anointed king yet. And so they brought all the tribes, and literally, they are gambling away, trusting what Proverbs says, that the Lord even controls the casting of lots. That's what Israel's doing here. And so they are rolling the dice, and they roll the dice, and it lands on the tribe of Benjamin. They roll the dice again, and it just so happens to work its way down to Saul. Again, we see God working and his providence working through all of these circumstances and all of these situations. Notice what it says. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And notice who has to respond. The Lord answers. There he is hiding among the equipment. Now you have this nation who wants a king so bad and a king has finally been chosen for them. Yes, the day has come. They can be like all the other nations. Where is our king? They can't find him. Again, it shows the frailty of humanity. The king has been chosen. This is the guy. Where is he? Go find him. Everybody go find him. We can't find him. And it's like the Lord says, oh my gosh, he's right there. He's right there. He's in the equipment. Go, he's right there. Look. But we also see in Saul the worry and the anxiety that he had. This was not something that he sought after. He didn't go to Samuel to be anointed king and to be proclaimed king. He went to find his donkeys. And so this is a task that is gonna be very difficult for him and he knows this. He, he understands this. It says, so they ran and brought him from there and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted, said, long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents but he held his peace. So Saul is finally found and he is proclaimed king. And so he goes before the people and it says the people are shouting, long live the king. And when they look at Saul, he really does look the part. He's very handsome. He's very tall, looks very stout. And so then in verse 25, it says Samuel again tells the people the way of the king. And he writes it, In a book. Now, this is important and this is key because Saul is standing there, the people are standing there, and now the word of God is pronounced to them. This is what a king does. They hear it, and it shows us that the word of God is even above the king. That's what's different here in this nation. The king is not numero uno. Even though there is a king in place, God is still in control. God is going to be the one who tells the king what to do and then the king must do it. No ifs, ands, or buts. And that's what's happening here in this situation. And it's interesting because when we get to verses 26 through 27, it says some people whose God's heart, God had touched their heart, they follow Saul and they're happy. But as always, there's some who are not. Right? It says there are rebels who look at Saul and they say, What can this guy do for us? Now, God had anointed him. God had chosen him. And so for these people to rebel against God's chosen king was not wise, was not good. But we see the hardened hearts of people who are not touched by God and we see the result. They just continue to rebel. So when we look at these passages this morning, as we've been doing, we ask the question, what can we learn from them? What does it mean for us today? What did it mean for them? Well, first thing I, th- I would like to point out is this. It is important for us as Christians, even just as people, to have the ability to listen and to learn. To be able to listen and to learn. It is obvious through this whole passage that Israel was not capable of doing this. They continually were given opportunities to repent of their rebellion against God in seeking after a king, but they would not heed. They would not listen. Even when God would give Samuel a word that was all negative, all bad, they would still say, yes, I want my sons to be servants. Yes, I want them to take my daughters. I I want the king to take my land. I, I want the king to tax me because we just want a king. They were not really listening to what was happening at this moment, right? That's what was taking place. All they saw were the nations around them and their desire to be like them. And so no matter what God would say, no matter what the man of God would say, it was going to go in one ear and right out the other. They were not going to allow it to have any impact on their life in one way or another at all. And so in God's plan all along, we know this. We we talked about this in prior chapters in Deuteronomy. In God's plan all along, there was going to be a king. And so just having a king isn't the sinful thing here. This was the plan. This is what was going to take place. But the problem was it needed to be in God's timing. Me Me and Pastor Spencer were talking about this this week, and he said this, and he's very right. He said it's very similar to Abraham and Sarah with Ishmael. God told them, you are going to have a son. But Abraham and Sarah didn't like the time frame that was happening. They didn't like what was going on. And so they forced the issue. And Abraham did have a son. He was blessed with the son and Ishmael. But that was not how God wanted it. That's not how it was supposed to be. And so later, we see that Abraham and Sarah have the child that they were supposed to have, the child that God had chosen. This is a very similar situation that we see happening here with Saul. This was not in God's timing. The people's hard hearts and God showed mercy on them and kindness to them, even in the midst of their stubbornness. But we really do see a lesson here, I think, how so often our stubbornness will not allow us to listen. Our stubbornness will not allow us to learn how we are supposed to learn. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20-33, through 33, it speaks of this. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster, one of the things we learn in Scripture all throughout is that when God created us and when God made us, He made us as beings who are able and need to learn. Even Jesus Himself, it tells us when He was when He was born, it tells us in Luke chapter two that He grew in wisdom in stature. We are called to do that exact same thing, but it, but we have to be able to listen in order to learn. Now, I'm going to speak directly to God's word. You need to be willing to listen to God's word, to soak it in, and to act then upon God's word. To hear it, to understand it, and to do it. And that's the second point I think that we should learn. The the important acts of common everyday obedience to God. As we hear his word, as we learn from his word, as we are molded and made in his image, we follow him on a daily basis in the common things of life. In James chapter 1, verse 16 to 26, he speaks of this. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creat- creatures." Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person, please, please hear this. This is, I'm saying this to myself. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Listen, as we hear his word, it changes us and we then do his word. That is the natural response in all of this. And this means common, everyday obedience to God. I'm not talking about these huge acts of faith that some would speak about. God is calling me to a new job and I got to move my whole family over here. This is his will. Look at, I am doing this. I'm not talking about that as being a doer of God's word. I'm talking about the absolutely common everyday things. And this is what Israel didn't like. See, when Samuel would lay this list out before them, this is what a king is going to do to them. No, no, no. They didn't hear that. They had a quick response right after he got done we want a king like the other nations. That is what we want. That is what we desire. We want to be like everybody else. We do not want to be distinct. We do not want to be different. We want to be like them. Israel just kept talking. They just kept talking. When God was giving them opportunity after opportunity to shut their mouths and listen, they just kept talking because they wanted to be like all the other people. You see, they were different. They had these sacrifices. They had these daily things that God would have them do. They had the law. And everybody around them knew it. There's something different about Israel, and they didn't like it. Well, the same goes for us, does it not? If we are children of God, if we've been saved by his grace, the Bible tells us then that we have been set apart. The Bible tells us then that we... Are different. We have become different. And there are things in our life, common everyday obedience things that changes for us when we are saved. And now when you look at that, when you say, well, what does that look like, pastor? What, what does it look like to have common obedience as a Christian? I'll be quite honest with you. It looks boring. To most, it looks very boring because you get up and you go to work you hopefully read your bible you spend time in prayer you're a good parent you're a good husband you're a good wife you're a good friend you work hard at your job when you are there you're a good employee you're a faithful citizen of the place that you live this is this is how you act these are the this is what you do and it's common everyday things you allow the fruits of the spirit to be a part of your life You get rid of anger. You try to get rid of jealousy. You're fighting these things on a daily basis. This is common everyday obedience that we are called to as Christians. And this is what it means to be faithful. To be a faithful Christian is to wake up every day and do it again. To wake up the next day and do it again. And do it again and do it again and do it again. And And to trust that God is going to work in the midst of you doing it over and over and over again. Why? Why are you doing it? Because it's what he's called us to do. But too often, too often, we have a tendency to look outside and to say, but I really would like to be like them. What if we just inserted some of this into our life, right? What what if we just took this and and kind of inserted it into our life into our life. Maybe that would bring me some more joy. Maybe if I got to act like them, it would make us happier. Maybe if we took some of the outside stuff and incorporated it in our worship service, Pastor, we'd all be a lot happier when we left this place. Maybe we should do those sort of things. The problem is, those aren't the things that the Lord has ordained for us. He has made us different. You might thinking of this verse. I know I thought of this verse and we're gonna get to it here in a minute. In John chapter 17, I'm skipping, so whoever's putting the verses on the screen, I'm sorry. But John 17, verse 14 through 19 says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You may, you may have heard it said, be in the world, but not of the world. That's not a scriptural line. Well, what I just read is what Jesus says. And he says it very clearly. If you are mine, this is not your place. The things that make those who are not mine happy are not the things that are going to make you happy. The things that are going to give you joy and hope and peace is not the things that they find joy, hope, and peace in. But sadly, I mean, if you're anything like me, too often, that's what I look to. Too often, those are the things that I see, and I don't realize and understand God has made me different for a reason, not for my glory, not for my honor, but for his glory and for his honor. And if I'm going to serve him how I'm called to serve, then every single day I have to live my life obeying him and being willing to be different in a world that is really pushing against us being different. You should feel it. You should understand it. When you read the news, when you listen to radio, when you interact with any of these different things, especially in the media, you should get this sense that you're different from the world. And it's a little scary because of how quickly things are changing. For some of you who have gray, gray hairs on your head, you remember a time of when it was cool to go to church. You remember a time of when it was, it was cool to say you were a Christian. That was a normal thing. It helped you get a job. It helped people to think that you were a good person. It was a good thing to carry alongside of you. Well, I got to tell you the truth. For the kids who are in here today, when they go to school and they tell their friends that they're a Christian, it's not a cool thing. I know of people who at their work, they don't get the job because they're a Christian. They, they they don't have, see times times have changed. Now, does that mean that as Christians we are called to change with the time? No. Because we're different. We're very different. We're set apart. Now, does it mean that we wage war? Does it mean that the Christian crusades should come back? We start fighting? We start forcing? I don't think so. I don't think that's what we're called to do. I think what we are called to do then as Christians is to do exactly what I think Israel should have been doing here, of doing the common obedience in our life to God faithfully. And where God leads us, that is where we go. Where God puts us, that is where we will be. No matter what situation we face, they cannot take away joy from my life. They cannot remove from me the peace that I have within my soul because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. No matter what situation may come to me, none of that is going to to be dismissed from my body. Why? Because the Lord promises to never never leave me, to never forsake me in any circumstance. I've been hearing for years from pastors saying, the next generation is going to go to jail for this. You know, the next generation is going to face this. I don't know when that is. I don't know if I'll see that. I don't know if my kids will see that. I don't know if it's the next generation after that. But I do know this. I could go to a lot of other countries in the world today at this very moment and meet brothers and sisters who are in jail right now because of their faith. Meet brothers and sisters in the Lord who've had many a funerals for their loved ones because they were Christians and they were killed because of their faith. And when we look at them, we can't say, you are facing this because you lack faith. We can't look at them and say, you're facing this because you're just not smart enough to figure it out. No, they're facing what they're facing because of their commonal, everyday obedience to the Lord. They're facing what they're facing in those countries because of their faithfulness to stand for the truth of God, even in a loving way. They die because they go to church. People kill them. People blow them up. They're they're facing these different things. But again, it's not because of them being extreme. It's because they're being different according to the word of God. And it's amazing to see, statistically, those countries are the ones that God is using the most to save lost souls. It's not America Where the church is trying to integrate into society and be as much like society as we can to try to win them. What we see in these other countries is they are being radically different than everybody else. Not just to be different, but to be faithful to God. And God is dramatically using those Christians and people are coming to the Lord in droves in places that you and I would think there's no way it's going to happen there. We have to ask ourselves why? In America, with all the tools that we have, with all the resources that we have, with all the buildings that we have, with the knowledge and the wisdom that we have, with all of these things, why are all these other countries succeeding when it comes to the kingdom of God so much better than the church here? I think it's because for many of us, we've become like Israel. We're not willing to listen to God's word. We're not willing to learn from God's word. As God shows us things very clearly in his word that reflect in our heart, Tim, you are suffering with anger. Tim, you are so full of bitterness and jealousy that I wipe that away because I say things like, yeah, but I'm angry at them because they hate you or I'm angry, I'm bitter because of this and I try to, try to work my way around it so that it sounds holy and just instead of saying, God, create in me a new heart. God, help me not to live in my anger. Help me not to live in this this world that I seem to stay in, but God, push that out of me. God, refine me. Make me. Help me to see that. Help me to do that. I know for me, that's something I have to be better at. And I've seen as As God has done that in my life, I've seen seen peace so much more in my soul. I've seen so much more joy and so much more hope. Not, Not in Tim, but in the truths of God's Word. That He continues to move and He continues to work. We're reading a story that was thousands of years ago. But that's the same God we've come here to worship today. It's the same God. He does not change. Though I change, though the nations change, though you change, God does not change. And we have to understand that we are going to be different. And then lastly, I'm not going to speak on this much, but we see again, just like we saw in Esther, how the hand of God and the perfection of God and his providence just works among people. Again, and just everyday occurrences I don't know what you're going through. I don't know your circumstances. I guess I really only know know mine. But there are many times in my life or in my day when I get to some point in my day and I think, what in the world is going on here? Where has my day gone? I mean, I'll be honest, with this whole school stuff, having my kid in my office two days a week, I want to do a lot of damage to my office at times. And I'm thinking, What in the world is the purpose of this? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? And again, in my mind and in my little sphere, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. But I have to remember, and I have to be reminded, God is working in the midst of everything. Nothing happens by accident. It it might be a bad decision, don't get me wrong, but a bad decision does not thwart the things of God. It might be good decisions, and we praise God for good decisions that are made, but it's God's hand moving, and it's God's hand working, and we see this here. The donkeys are lost. I can't find them anywhere. Maybe there's a man of God, and it just so happens the day before, Samuel was told, tomorrow, tomorrow you'll see the king, and he shows right up at his doorstep. They cast lots. And it falls right on the same guy who was looking for his donkeys, who was anointed by Samuel. This is how our God works. His plans get accomplished. His ways are finished. I've already said it. We, we, we should praise God and rejoice in it every day. The victory is ours as Christians. The battle has been won on the cross and in the resurrection. It is over. Victory is has been completed. And again, we're reminded here in Samuel, we should live like that. We should understand that and we should live like that. Serving God faithfully as he has called us to live and understanding the perfection of his providence and of his plan. Well, let's bow together and pray this morning. We're gonna sing a song to close like we do each week, give you an opportunity to respond to God's word this morning, however, you see fit as we continue here in Samuel. God, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. God, I know for me, I I just have to seek forgiveness and how sometimes trying to manipulate you maybe by adding things to my life or I try to start to think of the extraordinary things that maybe I should do And I fail to remember to do the common everyday things that you have called me to, which does make me different from the things of this world. God, and we see that all throughout scripture, the need for us to rest, the need for us to worship you together, the need for us to sing praises to you, the the need for me to read my Bible on my own, the need for me to love my wife faithfully or my children, to be a good dad to them. God, all these things that I could go on and on again, God, that to most, when they look at that life, it just seems very boring, very mundane. And God, too often as Christians, I think we keep looking in the stars, we keep thinking your will is something much bigger or greater or going, but God, you continue to call us to do these things daily and to remain faithful to you and that you also remain faithful to us each and every moment. So God, I pray that we would look to those things, the things that you have given us to give us joy, hope, and peace. Help us to not be distracted by the nations that surround us. To look at them and say, but look at how much fun they're having or look how excited they are and think that maybe if we just grab some of that, that would be us too. God, no, there's there's no joy in those things. Anything apart from you is, is nothing. And so, God, help us to rest in, in you. Help us to rest in the promises that you've given us. Help us to be a people like you called Israel to be in Isaiah, to be a light to the nations. And the light is different than the dark. And so, God, help us to have that attitude. Help us to love those around us. Help us to seek after those good things that you've called us to. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.